Welcome to Live Let Thrive, a podcast about the Airbnb life, the share economy, and everything in between. Here are your hosts, Micah and Steve. Hello, hello, hello. And welcome back to another exciting episode of Live Let Thrive. What is up, Micah? Man, I'm chilling, Stevie Stacks. How you doing? I'm excited about this show. This show's going to be off the chain. I feel it. I feel it. And we are coming at the we're coming at people from Arlington and Fort Worth, Texas. And this is Live Let Thrive, your favorite Airbnb VRBO, Home Away, Lyft, Turo, all that stuff podcast in the world. And we have special guests today for this episode, special episode 180 of your Live Let Thrive podcast. Are you excited, Micah? Let's get it, man. Who we got? We got two special <laughs> guests on. We have Terrence Hutchins and Adam James has been on our show a few times before. And we always get great ratings because he's a great guest and he's bringing extra firepower with him. Terrence Hutchins. Terrence, why don't you introduce yourself, who you are? Awesome. Well, thank you guys for having me. Uh, Terrence Hutchins, as he said, I am uh, coming out of the DFW as well. Um, I work in finance and tax planning. Uh, I do a little, a little bit of real estate investing. I am uh, married, have three kids, so I, I get off my full-time job, go to my other full-time job, run them around town to all their events, and um, I met uh, Omar, um, I guess through a mutual friend, probably a couple years ago, I think it was, and so uh, we, we were doing a little bit of work together in uh, one of his, his little side hustles, and uh, he, he invited me on to talk about this strategy I think uh, that will help some of you guys out there looking to compound your money, arbitrage, and, and use the power of the dollar to get you to where you want to go. He practiced that for like two months, by the way. Wasn't that amazing, guys? <laughs> <laughs> That's his elevator speech. <laughs> it, was, it was amazing. <laughs> Take the cue no. card away. Rip it up now. <laughs> it, it was pretty good, right, man. Okay. It's pretty good. Adam, if you, could you tell our, our uh, guests that may not have heard your previous episodes, who the hell are you, Adam? Guys, go back. If you want to hear the best show they ever done, I think they got the most views. Um, it was like, I was on the 100th episode. Go back, check it out. I promise you, it would change your life. I talk about from being broke, being homeless in 2013, not too long ago, from bad decisions to recreating myself and building a a, you know, seven-figure empire, which has opened up a lot of things. So uh, this is the best uh, podcast in this industry, hands down. Uh, it's embarrassing, but I call these two for advice all the time. Uh, Micah always sends me, to, he sends me to the answer machine most of the time. But he, <laughs> you know, I'm telling the truth. But you know what? When he gets back to me, you, you know, Adam, I got two minutes. He usually gives me about 30 seconds. But when I get him, it's a great information. They both have changed my life. So thank you for the opportunity to be on the show and to really share because these guys are amazing. By the way, I'm going to vouch that episode 100 was life changing. I've had people from Florida hit me up and say, dude, I'm, I'm hopping in like straight up. That episode 100 was life changing for us. For all of us, just as much for me, too. So it was great. What, what has changed? What have you done different or what has uh, have you has your business grown since our last episode with you? Um. I think the last episode that we we're talking about, a lot of things have changed. You got to stand. I haven't been here. Last time I was on here was uh, pre-COVID, right? Oh, wow. Yeah, and yeah, so, yeah. guys, I wonder what everybody has gone through. Uh, you know, a lot of my friends 
and people that were in, you know, we're part of these mastermind groups and everything, but I see the majority of the people that do what we do uh, are out of business and uh, <laughs> they really are. And I have to say, just through the right coaching, uh, listening to different podcasts, staying on this podcast and listening to you all, that literally my business tripled. You know, COVID is a terrible thing. We all agree, right? Mm. And we, however, we hate for the losses. However, there was a lot of opportunity and my business, um, I say, I say tripled. I'm, I'm being, tra- it really tripled uh, because of the pandemic. When everybody was shutting, mine's only, it, it, it grew. And so how, how did it impact your, 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 your business guys? I don't know if we can. Like you said, COVID's a bad thing for people, but like for business wise, business wise, it was awesome. I mean, it was people needed. I mean, you just had to pivot. It was a pivoting yeah. point. The people who pivoted, they made a lot of money. The people who didn't shut down. And, but shut down. that really just, it really kind of separated, you know, the people who are willing to go through the struggle, change, roll with the punches. And, and, you know, you would have grown. And, I, and most of the people we've talked to have grown from it, you know. Yeah, but it's also been, but also consider we're getting a lot of the great information. When you have information like the show and the podcast that is keeping us up to date, you're literally telling us what to do and not do. That's why I always encourage people to surround yourself with people doing bigger and better things than yourself because it's just going to pull all that out of you. And so I really believe that the reason was everything to pivot is because what you guys are doing on the show and just sharing the information. So thank you for that. Mm. Oh yeah, for sure, man. That's good. That's good. I just, um, you know, you know, we're going far. That seems like so long ago when COVID like first started. Right. Yeah. And, and I was like, okay, the media is just trying to tell us another, you know, the bird flu, swine flu, this flu, that it's just another one of those. And they're just blowing it out of proportion. Right. And so I wasn't really, I wasn't really scared of it at first. Right. I wasn't, I wasn't freaking out, staying home. I was still doing my thing, going to work every day, of course. And um, then they started shutting everything down. That kind of, yeah, that was different. That, that kind of, that was different. And I was, you know, I got little ones and that's what scared me the most. Cause I got little ones. Right. And so um, I was freaking out a little bit after, uh, you know, after everything kind of went you know, crazy a little bit. But after I set, it settled down a little bit, or I settled down my uh, mental state, I was like, th- this is probably the time to start to try to invest. It's, I mean, it sounds crazy because the, the stock market did that huge dip, right? And then, um, and then, um, yeah, everything, everybody got scared, staying home, didn't want to do nothing. And I was like, this is, it sounds crazy. It sounds like the world's going to end, but this is the time to invest. And I was out like in a few weeks looking for houses and, and, um, and, and so, and 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 signing up for getting arbitrages and, and, and stuff like that and getting a rinse at a, at a really, really good rates and locking them in for two years. You know, so we got we yeah, we we were bold enough to invest at the right time. And we're taking, you know, we're, we're we took advantage of that and we're doing very well because of it. Well, let me. So the, the, the question is, is all about fortitude. If, you, if I can add to that, I think what separates what is so good about a share economy and what we're doing is that the most of us are contrary investors. When people are selling, we're buying, right? And when people are buying, we're selling. That's what keeps you ahead of everything. And if people really get that, if, they, if, you, just, if you go against the flow and not with the flow a lot of the times, that's where all the opportunity is. And that's what Terrence does for a living. You know, um, I personally know about 45 people who have died from COVID. In fact, literally, uh, my 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 uh, maintenance guy 
just lost his grandmother and his dad over COVID last week, within two weeks. So wow. it's serious, guys. It really is serious. I can literally say I know 45 people. But you understand I'm part of a big church organization. So that's how I know so many bodies because the church affiliation. But it's really serious. But in that same thing, if I want to ask, how did that shift? How, how, how were we able to go from a pandemic to make a difference in our business? Like, what do you, what do you guys think would happen? I can tell you what would happen in the area where I'm investing. Michael, what do you think? Why did, why, how did your business, I can tell you what happened in mine, you know, but I, I'm willing to hear it. I know in mine for sure, for sure. It was, mine was a location thing. Same with it me. just so happened to be a location thing. I was in a drive to market and not a fly to market. But what it did was now made me really look, step back and realize like, hey, if you're dependent on airfare right now for guests to come in, Smart. you might want to have another group of places that people actually drive to. Because even right now, I don't know if you know this, like even in places like Houston, this is a little bit of a slowdown because like, like the airline industry is on a shortage of workers. They have a shortage of pilots, uh, shortage of resources. So a lot of those places are still slow due to COVID. So it's just a matter of pivoting, understanding your market, and then seeing, okay, this market's taking a dip. Where can I go to a different market that still has that uproar uptick? And by the way, I'm not saying my market. Me either. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> just we already decided to... that before we came in here. So that's never going to happen. Uh, I'm just, in just, El just... Segundo. Yes. There you go. go to... <laughs> El Segundo. That's if you want to go there. So uh, yeah, I'm in BF Egypt. <laughs> Just listen to the previous 179 eps and you'll find out where Micah is. Exactly. <laughs> so what, what happened with me is that with same with him is that everybody's leaving California and New York. Mm -hmm. And so I can put out there if you guys can find out where the majority of those people are going to and consider investing in those areas. It, it, it's going to take, you know, that I, I will promise you, you'll have a, a different life. But I was just blessed that I didn't go to the major markets. But a lot of the people who are leaving California. I mean, the area that I'm investing in, you can't even get a home there without paying 25 to 30 percent over right now. So that's why I'm just doing arbitraging right now to it switches. So that's what's going on right now. Ooh, let's touch on that. So you're only doing arbitrage right now. You're not right now because where I'm at. I don't want to, I mean, I, I know it's, it's, it depends on, okay, right now I am, but I, I want to see a little decrease. My, my own realtor said, don't buy right now because it, it's it, my own realtors. My, I had a realtor tell me yesterday that she feels it's terrible to have her. She's telling her clients not to buy right now, but listen, you don't have to listen to that strategy, but, but you got to look the city where I'm at, the mayor said that in the next two years, our population is almost going to double. This, 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 this just came out. He just announced this right now. That's how many people are moving here. So consider this. Yeah, you're going to pay the extra 25% over asking, but you're still going to get the equity up because everybody's moving here. We have no houses where we're at right now. I think that's just the ideal market, in my opinion. You know, But if you guys want to do that, it's, it's a bit. But I really believe that it's going to tip a little bit and come back down. But right now, it's at the peak. And I just don't want to spend 25 and 30, but I don't know. What do you think about that? I'm not buying with, I'll say this. I don't really buy real estate with money. I buy with time. So 
I would say buy with time, not money. If you're buying with money, I do think it's going to tip, and I do think we're at the top of that bubble. We don't. No one knows when the bubble's going to pop, right? We're at the top. I mean, I don't know. And then I don't see a slowdown. You know, I don't see a slowdown right now. So if you're buying with cash, I think it could be better put to a better use, yeah. in my opinion. Well, we're going we're gonna to talk about that, too. I'm sorry to interrupt, guys. Oh, go ahead. Uh, and, and, uh, I'll go ahead. You Go ahead. Go ahead. Now, this is your show, brother. Oh, Terrence. <laughs> Terrence, you had a yeah, very, it's from Terrence. Yeah. You had a very, oh. very interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Terrence. Well, I was, you know, like I said, I was a sidekick to Adam, so I was going to let him no talk sidekick. for, no for the most part. Um, but, I mean, I think just in the real estate market, just with anything else, I think you look at economics. And so even to Adam's point, um, yes, the, the market is, 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 is obviously increasing. Uh, I think last month we were uh, 16% over prices from the year before. And, um, but I mean, supply is just still at lower numbers. Uh, I mean, we see more housing starts now, uh, but I mean, you're looking at big hedge funds, big companies, they're buying single family houses now. And normally they don't put their capital where they feel like it's not going to be leveraged properly. Um, But to Micah's point, I think if you have the time, then you can certainly make money. Uh, If you look at even millennials, uh, people that are age 29, that's actually the biggest demographic in millennials. So the average age that people buy houses, I think, is around 30, 31. So you have a lot of people that are going to be coming into the market uh, that are going to be needing housing. Uh, and then just with the government, I think they're also going to just uh, potentially assist with affordability. Um, as, as housing prices increase, that kind of prices some people out of the market it's going to put pressures on employers to potentially raise, raise wages. But the government, uh, specifically with you know the um, uh, administration we have now, I'm assuming that if, if, if housing gets higher and higher, you're going to see some type of assistance. But you're also going to have a market for renters. If, I mean, if as prices continue to go up, if you have the capital with the rates being so low, uh, and, and that will probably stay this, that way for you know, another year or so, um, then the affordability for people that have the capital is actually lower than it has been in the past. But you're going to have a market of probably a higher market of people that will want to want the affordability of being able to just rent in nice areas who may not be able to afford to get the house that they want. So they're going to be willing to, to wait. And if you're able to provide that housing through just traditional purchasing or through the arbitrage, I think there's still going to be a lot of opportunities. Um, out there so guys i'm i'm renting my houses before i even get in them now that's how crazy it is i'm literally doing that so he's telling i'm literally renting the houses i no longer go get an arbitrage i get the client and then go get the arbitrage i've done that three times in a row now so if there's no houses no inventory how are you finding houses to arbitrage well i'm there there's there's no houses to buy Okay. There's plenty of houses to rent. Oh, right? I see. I but see. there's there's no houses to buy right now at a normal price. There's the supply. Go ahead. Like, uh, over here in this area, it's it's getting even bad to find a house to rent at a reasonable price. No, not that's, here. Yeah, okay. Not here. So that's not a different here. over there. All right. Yeah, not here. Not here. That's why everybody, you know. And so what is happening with this with this pandemic and everybody moving? This is a, hey guys, this is a this is a, a, a ninja move, you know. If you're in an area where everyone is coming to, what would life look like 
if you can have the tenant pretty much fund your arbitrage and uh, you have it rented to them before you even get the place. That's what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, if, if I'm talking to a potential person and, and hey, I need a place to live. Hey, listen, I, I will say I will get the pictures from the place I'm thinking about doing the person. They already have nice pictures and I just forward it to them. And when they say, yes, I'll take it because they know that I keep saying, listen, if you find something, then I go after I get the con, then I go and get the arbitrage. So I'm literally renting my places before I'm not, I don't need to wait anymore. That's, that's how serious the market is. I wanted to test it and it, it, it takes an effort. I'm writing a book on that too, but just imagine I rent them out before I even get them. I'm not doing that anymore. I let the tenant pay for it now. Most of it. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you, you're still, you're still heavy in the arbitrage game, of course. Now, did you ever, did you ever dabble in the management at all to be a, I just, I'm started that now. Yes. I'm doing that now. I, I, man, in the last year, I picked up about four clients and it's been amazing. I'm really, that's the next route I'm pursuing Mm -hmm. is getting into the management and it's been amazing. It is really, I just, I find houses that haven't been selling that have been on the MLS. They're just not sell. You can find that out. I can go to realtor. And then I do a, a campaign and I call them and say, what if I can make you two and a half times uh, the, can- the, 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 your, the, the, your, your rent. And uh, they, I, I have them get all the furniture. I have someone come in there and decorate it. They do it. I charge them for that. And then after that, I get a percentage of it. And they love it. I have an investor right now. He's giving me, he's converting all his houses. I got three of his houses and it's generating me almost $1,500 a month just by management. Mm. Nice, nice. Do you like that model better than arbitrage? I actually, both, you know, we're all about the share economy, multiple streams of, of, of income. So this is, this is what I'm doing. This is why I'm on the show right now. So the management is great. I think it's easier because there's no risk, right? But -hmm. there's no ownership. But I'm still making, so this one place, this house, we made a deal that anything over $2,400, I get to keep. I'm renting it for $3,300 a month. Everybody's happy. So I usually do like a 30 and 70 split. But no, guys, with the tools that you're learning from this show, people don't know about it. If you go to anyone and they got money to invest in furniture, that's easy money. It's easy because it stays booked. I don't have to do anything. And, mm-hmm. and none of the money has to come up. So just imagine making 30% of someone and, and there's no rent. And only thing, and guess what? With, with, with Airbnb and VRBO and all these other places advertising, I don't have to do anything because we are called hot leads. You guys know that, right? It's different. The, the tenants find me first. I really don't have to do too much. I don't have to pay for that. They find me. So by me just putting on those free sites, they come to me. But the thing is, is that the people that I'm managing for just don't have access how to market. And so with the hot market, I've never had a problem. These places are going just like that. So I think it's a great opportunity to go into management. And what sites are you, are you on? The same one. My, the greatest ones for me have been Turbo Tenant. Um, I don't, I've only, I haven't been booked on VRBO in about a year. I don't even, I haven't even had to, honestly. Turbo Tenant, uh, uh, I, I use websites that do this, that you post one and it goes on all of them. Michael, you know those. Yeah. Um, but 
that's a conversation. There's website like Turbo Tenant, Facebook Marketplace, Airbnb, VRBO. Uh, I have my own website, which I learned from you guys. And I say 98% of all my bookings are coming from, I don't really get booked on Airbnb anymore. Smart. I don't really get it. <laughs> but you know what? Another thing, guys, I do. I, when my places are booked, guys, write this down, guys. This works amazing. I went on Airbnb and made it so that everything is instant book. Terrence, we're going to we're going to connect it all. Inst, not no instant book. I removed that. No, no, you can't instant book on any of my things anymore because I'm forcing the conversation. When everything is booked, this has worked 98%. Hey, I would like to book your place. I would be like, hey, this place is booked, but I have this. You guys, they take it 99% of the time. When you guys have it where, where, where if your place is booked, keep marketing it. Don't stop marketing your place when it's even when it's booked. Because if you have other places, they take it. I, I say maybe 3% will not take it because if you're, if they're looking for a two bedroom already and you have one coming up in a week, bring them to that one. Mm -hmm. And then you give them a special pricing. Like, Hey, I haven't marketed this place. This is what's going to cost. As I always say, if I hit the button to publish, it's going to be nice. It's going to be 2000. But if you take it before I publish it, I give a discount. Mm -hmm. So I, it, it works every time. Now I've already had the professional photos in there. I got a video. Well, can I see it? So I send them the link with the photos and everything, and then I bring them right to my website. Now, how do you do that? How do you get past uh, you know all the stuff that prevents you from sharing stuff through the Airbnb messaging? Airbnb, I just have them. Um, you can put your website. You can you can put your, so you got to do it with integrity because I don't want to take anything away. You got to set it up where they ask, "Can I speak to you?" So I will say, "Hey, um, this place is booked. You know, I have other places." Right. And if you want, I can put it on an Airbnb or you can look at it in the video. They always say, no, let me let me let me contact. They always do that. So if you, you, you can put your phone number in there, I don't know that. No, you can't. It's never been a problem. You put your your four. You put your number separate and it can go on there. You, you put the first three, send, second three, send, second three, send and people can contact you. Okay. But if now what I do, if they want that. I make it, this is me, I make it mandatory that say they want my place, I usually make them stay, on, I make them stay with Airbnb for like a day or two. That's what has been working. I say, you can have my place, but because I, you have to phone the money through Airbnb. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, yeah. I tell people to do that too. Yeah, I do that too. I, matter of fact, uh, you told me to do that. Thank you. That guy told me to do that. Because <laughs> I don't want, I don't ever want a situation that, that the money is not that people have a right to immerse, but I make them, if I met them through Airbnb, I make sure that I generate money from Airbnb for them. Yeah. That's what I've been doing too. Like they yeah. stay there a couple days, then just yeah, you stay there a couple days and blah, blah, blah. And then they want to convert it. They want it. But some people I've had people, you know, I feel safer on Airbnb. I'm like, great. Okay. But I'm going to, it's going to be an extra thousand. No problem. We can do that. And so, but once you market it and you send your, and then with your welcome, hey, another thing you can do when you're sending your welcome messages, hey, this place is busy, they allow you to have your website on there. You know that, right? You, there's different ways to infuse your website. My website's on there every time. Hey, this place is booked for more information, blah, blah, blah. They find you that direction.
Mm. You haven't had any issues with that? Because I know a few people that actually put their website in the pictures, man. And I was like, eh. never. I've never had a. I never had an issue. I've never. My website's on everything. My website's on everything. I've never had an issue. But I. I don't. I think I've booked. I've been booked an Airbnb. This the last couple of years. It's not. It's. It's really gone to almost zero. I, I just put my stuff on there for SEO. I just, I just put my stuff on there for SEO, but I really, it's very rarely that I get booked on there. Very rarely now. Question for Terrence. Yeah. Okay. So you're, you're the, you're the tax guy, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and a real estate investor, right? Mm-hmm. So, so here's what I'm, here's what I'm seeing. You, you said, okay. Yeah. The, the housing market might be like uh, overheating or, you know, inflated crazy. Mm-hmm. There's always opportunities, right? Yeah. And so, so I would I would automatically think, OK, well, if there's if, if you know, you can't get people can't find a house, if you're able to get one off market, you know, and, and fix it up, sell it, you, you probably should have a successful flip going on. Right. You probably should, because if you pretty put a halfway decent looking house out there, it's going to sell quickly. Right. Yeah. Let's just say, yeah, let's say you buy one for 100 G's, uh, put 50 into a seller for 250. I don't know, make you anywhere from 50 to 100,000 profit. Yeah. Now you're and you're like uh, you know a lot about the 1031 exchange. Mm-hmm. What's the best way to use that big chunk of profit where it's not going to get taxed? And, and what's the best property to put that in that not everybody and their mama's trying to buy right now? Where you that get right a, now. Yep. <laughs> yeah, where you can get a, a decent deal and and use that money to to grow. So um, I would say I mean what I'm looking at more so now is uh. Uh, new construction on the residential side, just because uh, one, you can kind of pr- price control it a lot better than on a current house. Um, and even in that, most of the time with the new construction, you're trying to go where things are going. So you haven't maybe seen as much appreciation in that space. And a lot of times as new developments are coming up, you got to kind of think about what's going around that. Uh, so that if you can drive traffic, if you can, depending on, you know, if it's a long-term rental or a short-term deal, uh, you might evaluate it differently. But I'm looking at new construction on the, on the, on the uh, residential side, and I'm looking more so on multifamily uh, because I think that's kind of where the government would also come in. I think that, like I said, on the affordability of housing, I think that as they've continued to provide liquidity into the economy, you know, literally sending people money, then um, you'll see that, hey, will they pay people's rent? Will they, will, uh, they, will there be more, will there be bigger programs like with Section 8 and such where, hey, if I'm providing these multifamily housing, then I can, um, then I can uh, um, allow that, you know, to have just that market of people that are always going to be available to rent out what I'm doing. And then one thing that, uh, like with the 1031, um obviously if you have that bigger profit you can actually you know move that to a bigger just to basically trade up so that you're looking at just having a bigger space and you're going to maintain that um the, the the tax deferment um on it and and i think in the multifamily space you're gonna you're gonna have less uh competition uh depending on your area but you know, in the in the in, in that space, if, if you're going to be marketing there, you're going to be kind of networking in that space. I think that that's going to be a, a a very viable place to do. And you know, one of the things that, or even on the commercial side, 
you know, just how it's valued differently based on cash flow versus um, the area. I mean, if, if you can do value adds to those type of properties, then you'll get a lot more appreciation that you can control. So a lot of the strategies that you guys talk about or that Adam talks about, it's like, hey, if you can employ that in the multifamily or commercial space, then that can definitely increase your value um, and, and the cap rate that you have on the property that will give you just a bigger purchase price. And then now, hey, I can leverage that capital more. Once I got a higher valuation, I can use that capital. So I can, instead of me having to profit from selling, I can profit from borrowing and just you know take the equity out and apply it somewhere else. So I still maintain the flexibility, uh, but I don't have the tax advantage because the 1031, I mean, part of the issue that, especially in today's market is time. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to jump into a bad deal because I have this deadline looming over me, Yep. you know? And so I think a lot of people, uh, they, they, they aren't, you know, it's com- unless you're just constantly getting deals and evaluating deals, uh, you kind of have to really be on target because, you know, if you miss that deadline, then you're kind of. Uh, out of it, you know, as far as the, the the capital gains or whatnot that you might pay, or the short term gains that you might pay on a flip. Now, you, you y'all you touched on appreciation there, man. Uh, appreciation's huge, you know. Now, I have a question. This is for everybody in the group. Mm-hmm. Which is more important, cash flow or appreciation? Both. <laughs> hey, Terrence, um, and I want to hear Terrence answer because you do this for a living, exactly yeah. right. Yeah. So I would say. I mean, for me, I would say the appreciation is more important um, just because I think that it's just it's almost like I think about it. I, I play basketball and I think it's, it's kind of the they say the ball moves faster through a pass than a dribble. Right. So, hey, if I'm getting and not that, you know, cash flow isn't great, but I think how you build wealth is going to be that through that appreciation uh, and just the, the ability to. um Interesting. Like I said, the, the borrowing ca- capacity to get more equity out of the property without selling it, um, it's, it's going to be based on that value. So I think you can you can turn the money faster through quicker appreciation. Um, and then ultimately, you know, on the cash flow side, a lot of people, especially like in your case, I mean, that's why you're trying to get multiple streams so that a lot of times you're just reinvesting that cash flow, but you're reinvesting it to get more appreciation is kind of how I look at it. I'm happy you answered that way. Cause uh, basically I've been buying out of state in a different market. Mm-hmm. Uh, so <laughs> a different market, but my- I'm telling you that for years, bro. Get out of Dallas. Sorry. Never mind. <laughs> Stay in Dallas. <laughs> this is what happened. Like, I was talking to my mentor today and he goes, look, Micah, you keep buying in these cash flow heavy places, but you're not getting appreciation. Mm-hmm. Which you know, and that's what I've been doing. And I was like, "Damn!" He goes, "He goes, man. If you wow. think ten years down the line, he goes, think ten years down the line. Let's say all these houses are paid off, but they're worth what they were ten years ago. You really didn't go nowhere. You just got some more cash flow. So, mm-hmm. and that's why I decided I'm actually going to start buying in the DFW again because of the appreciation aspect. And that's why I wanted to hear your, you know, appreciation is very important. I, and well, I'm all, I, I'll go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I want to hear this. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no. So I said I'm I'm now only going for cash flow and appreciation markets. But what if I'm paying devil's advocate, right? No, go ahead, go ahead. Because I want to hear that. Okay, so if you're in okay, can can people get rich off investing in slum areas? Hell yeah. Oh yeah. 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 All right. So 
So say if you bought 50 properties for 5,000, Detroit, you could do that. I did this. Now, Detroit, you can buy a property for $5,000 just cashing flow. It can cash flow. But if you have a 50 properties that are paid off, they may not have gone up that much. But if you got 50 houses that are paid, paid isn't paid off so much like appreciation because I can go by there and burr the mess out of all those places too. You get what I'm saying? So I've always built myself from those smaller markets, like he said. Like I used to invest heavily in areas that didn't capitalize that much, but I was able to pay them off quicker because I put more towards the principal. And then when they're paid off, the remember I rehabbed them. Don't forget about that. So I got some for five. Now it's worth eighty. But now that same house that I've gotten for cheaper in those areas, I can instead of it taking me twenty five years, it's been paid off in five or ten. You yeah. know. So consider is really what you're doing with that profit because if you're only making $300 a month and you're putting that towards principal, you're knocking off 10 to 15 years. It's, all, it's really about really what you, you want to do. So I would say just to respond to that, I think that it, it maybe also depends on your main revenue source, right? So if you have the ability to, I mean, if you can apply your skill set as far as how you create systems and invest and are able to take advantage of the market, if you can apply that skill set into just your main revenue source, I mean, that'll provide you your lifestyle. So if you can then say, hey, even if I'm breaking even on a property, if, if it can compound at a higher interest or a higher growth rate, then that cash flow you're getting, it's going to be hard to catch up. Right. You're thinking, all right, just think about, OK, just say you have one hundred thousand dollars. So I have one property. I have one that's, you know, give me a cash on cash of, let's say, 10 percent in cash flow. Right. I'm making a, I'm making 10 grand a year from rent, right? other ones from rent. Yeah. From rent. OK. okay. Right. So, hey, you're making 10, 10 grand a year in cash flow. This other one's going up 10 percent a year, though, in appreciation. And it's compounding. I'm compounding on a hundred thousand at ten percent, versus you're compounding at ten percent on ten thousand. So you're saying, okay, I'm making ten thousand this year. I'm making eleven thousand next year. I'm making eleven thousand, you know, one hundred. Versus, hey, I'm at one ten. Now I'm at one twenty. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So if I'm making five percent on my cash flow or three percent, right. hey, at the end of the day, my balance sheet is going to look better than yours. So if I go to the bank, they're going to say, oh. Well, you know, we're we're gonna give you more money. We're gonna and and then on top of that, who's gonna granted in your market, maybe they're gonna take over ask, but I'm imagining people aren't in the slumlord places. <laughs> they're not that. doing 25. He said that. <laughs> they're, I didn't they're say not. slum. Did I say slum? You did right. say slum. Okay. Oh my it, god. <laughs> There it goes. He canceled. I'm done. So it's like, okay. I'm canceled. Oh. The slow two movement. I didn't mean so, to say that. The you're probably not getting the 25% over. over. Shut down, right. pal. It's over. Um, <laughs> so you're not getting 25% over asking. And you also have to think, okay, in higher appreciation areas, then you're going to attract other things, right? Like the reason that people are moving from California is because of the taxes, right? And then more favorable terms when they move to other states. But hey, when that corporation moves, they're not going to move in that area that you're investing in. 
they're going to move closer to the area that I'm investing in. So it's going to drive population. It's going to drive commerce. So the fact that my appreciation is going to probably increase, I'm going to have more advantages or more opportunities for that to continue to increase than you would, depending on the area. Now, if you have more data that says, hey, this is a low area and it has, even though it's cash flowing today, there's reasons that it will appreciate down the road, then that's a different story. Yeah. But as you know, Micah Only, said, yeah. if, if you're looking at, hey, if it's 10 years and it hadn't gone anywhere, well, something's going to have to materially change for that to for people to feel like it's going to be valued at a, a much higher platform. I mean, I even think about cars like I mean, you think about brands like Kia, you know, they're making more luxury vehicles. But a lot of people just mentally they just won't buy that brand <laughs> because of what it yeah. used to be, <laughs> you know, I love uh, and, and they're really nice cars. But I'm just they're saying really that. That area or that, you know, some things just are ingrained in people's minds as far as value. So they're just like, you know, I can't see myself buying unless there are bigger players that decide that that area is going to be more valuable and they're going to, to that area. So why is everybody so why are so many people like the area that I'm investing in? You can't even get a house in a I mean, they go like that. The ones that are in the challenge socioeconomic areas. So and I know some people who are very wealthy from doing it. What do you think? Are they making money off the cash flow or what do you, what do you think? What do you think is happening over there? Are you saying in, in the areas that, that you that are challenged? I mean, yeah. Yeah. Part of it is just the, 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 the money is so cheap right now. I mean, that's the other part. So it's just the affordability. Um, you know, people, you look at savings rates skyrocketed just because with the pandemic, uh, you know, Micah mentioned earlier with travel, Hey, that came way down to a lot of discretionary spending, a lot of people were just putting that money into their houses uh, or they were put, they were, or they were saving it. And so that was allowing more people to uh, be able to afford houses. So with supply having come down, if you think back just to the financial crisis, right? Um, you know, a lot of builders went out of business. A lot of builders stopped building as quickly. And so as you have populations that are, you know, approaching ages of buying a house, uh, it's just supply and demand. So there's just a lot more people wanting to buy a house than there are available supply. And with money being so cheap, then that means affordability has created even a higher level of supply to chase after that, uh, or sorry, uh, demand to chase after that more limited supply. And, and honestly, the people that have the most money in real estate, they don't own small stuff, right? I mean, they might have a smaller sliver, but if, if, I, if I'm a multimillionaire in real estate or a billionaire even, I'm owning, you know, high-valued properties, right? Uh, so, so more, you're going to be more in the kind of uh, mom and pop space, I would say, if you're compiling the uh, yeah. 50 properties. Now, because it's just more work. I mean, just think, it it's like- That's what I would do yeah. So like like even uh, like like private equity companies. Right. I mean, if you have a, a company that's trying to grow through private equity, they'll tell you, hey, those people, they 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 want you to go out of business or they want you to grow, grow, grow. Because in their minds, look, we'll invest in 10 things. If two of them hit really huge, we'll win. The other eight can all go out of business. Right. <laughs> but it's like in, in, in your in a hey, if, if I do a, if I buy a property and I can flip it for five million dollars. Hey, how much work would I've done to make five million versus you know these other 20, 30 houses? So I think you just think about time and the uh, effort. 
I mean, and, and like most people say, hey, the, the, the only difference between a bigger deal and a smaller deal is the money <laughs> behind it, right? A lot of times they take the same level of effort. Um, and so it's like, you know, you can do it through that, but to me, it's just more effort is going to be required to make the same amount of money. Now, here's, here's real quick. I'll bring up a friend of the show, Al Williamson, right? Here's oh, yeah, where I think, Al. yeah, yeah, a mentor to all of us. Here, here's what I think that, he kind of he kind of bridges the gap that you're talking about between the slum or whoever brought up that word today. And <laughs> and then the high appreciation that was Omar and the high appreciation <laughs> neighborhoods, you know, because he builds like, like if, if 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 my memory serves me correctly, yep, he right. builds like at the edge of the good neighborhood into yeah. where the hood starts to begin. And yeah. he and he buys up the block, like as as he says. So he's getting the price, the houses at, at a great price, which some people would consider them. That's not a good neighborhood. It's a few blocks from a good neighborhood. But then he builds and he makes them beautiful and he and he and he bridges the gap between, you know, the the lower neighborhood and the higher neighborhood. And so he gets the best of both worlds. He gets houses yeah. for cheap. He gets the cash flow immediately. And then he and then the, the prices of the whole block go up. So he gets the appreciation. I, you know, he taught me, I, I do the same thing. Um, the only time I would invest in socioeconomic areas, this is what I do. If I see them building any type of Starbucks near there, that area is about to be gentrified. You can yeah. bet your life on that. <laughs> yeah. I, it's, it's, it's a hundred percent true. Uh, the, the, the young lady I'm, um, I'm seeing, uh, she bought her house and, and uh, there's a, there, she's about to sell. I said, listen, you need to start working, get your house rehab because they just put a, a Starbucks there. That's the beginning. And it's actually happening. The values are shooting up. But I did what, what I read his book on that. Al, guys, he's a great guy. I read his book. And I started buying up the block. But he said, Adam, don't do anything. Just wait. So I bought up the block. The area's getting gentrified. I just boarded it up, right? And I am not joking I'm getting offers for double the prices of my houses and they, they're boarded up because the area started to get gentrified. So definitely, I can definitely see that. And if I can change it right now, he talked about one of the main things I love about the show about share economy. You guys don't mind if I shift it a little bit, do you? No, guys? no, no, good. And he talked about compound interest. And so, you know, we want freedom. You know, I don't want to have a lot of money but with the share economy, you know, we talk about how your house can be a liability if it doesn't produce, an, if it's not making money, right? Uh, or your car. And so what I try to do is that everything that I have, to, it needs to generate income. My home generates income. I go back from two cities. And when I'm in one city, I'm Airbnb it out. I'm in the other one. So I haven't paid a mortgage in almost six years. Literally have not paid one. Uh, my car... One of my cars is in the shop for true. I want to get another car under my LLC, but it's getting fixed up to put that on Turu and everything. I don't invest in anything that doesn't generate money. And so the question was this, he keeps talking about compact compound interest and appreciation. And him and I have been talking about that. I said, I said, what can we do guys? This is the meat of the test. What can I do to generate income? Because like most entrepreneurs, I, how many of you guys have to put money away for taxes? You guys have to do that or I have to just me. Yeah. So I have to put money away every quarter because I pretty much know what my tax bill is. Then for everyone listening, when you have an arbitrage, what is the average arbitrage cost? Uh, uh, 
Miko, or you, Steve, what, what is the average cost to get an arbitrage together? You can probably get a one bedroom uh, together, one bedroom condo, whatever, from anywhere from five to 10 grand. You okay, let's say grand. 10 grand. So okay. my numbers are right. It cost me about 10 grand, right? What is the, so what is your average? I, I don't do anything unless I generate minimum of $500 profit. Is that kind of like the standard? Yeah, I, kind I, of? yeah, yeah, standard. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? Well, mine used to be 500, but it's a thousand now, but five. Oh, is it? That's yeah. depending on the area. That's amazing. Yeah. So where he's at, are you pulling that in those smaller markets? Is that the, the minimum for a thousand profit? If you are, you're amazing. Don't yeah. give that name out. Yeah. Don't give that name out. No. If, listen, if he's doing that in the market and I know where he's at, I'll see like you with the week. flex. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, is so, so let me tell you about this situation. This is going to tie in the show again. And I'm really excited to talk about this. Do I have permission to do this? Yeah. So I'm having this money, right? I'm putting this money away. I'm taking the $10,000 and I'm investing in these arbitrages and my arbitrages, every arbitrage, my rate of return is around 60%. Is that right? I'm talking about if you're investing 10 minimum, you'd be making profit is about 7,000 a year. Am I correct? So if you put 10 and you're making seven clear, that's about 70% rate of return. You guys get that? Am I right? Nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. So my problem, my issue is that how, how, what can I do at the same time? Imagine if I could have an arbitrage making money when I, when I use the money to invest in an arbitrage and also it can compound money in another way. And we figured out how to do this and I'm writing a book on it. And that's why Terrence is on the show. So guys, let me tell you what the issue was. I'm in a different stage in my life and I'm all about leaving legacy. I want to make sure that my family, whatever future kids always are taken care of. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's very difficult to do that when if your goal, uh, I have a certain amount of number. I think I have the rule of 25. I believe 25 arbitrages can give you, it should be able to generate you a passive income around 160,000. That's just my numbers. A hundred that's, you're going to take 30%. Yeah, that's easy, guys, believe it or not. So if you do the math, right, that's around like fifty or $60,000 of cash. But you can do it so. You can buy one and do it slow. So I would take the savings, right? I'll put money in my savings account, wait to get that, and then I'll go get another place. Is that kind of normal what a lot of us do, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. I said, that doesn't make sense. I said, how can I build wealth? equity and my arbitrages or a down payment for an, a, a real estate investment. So let me tell you what I came up. I became my own bank. I no longer, I became my own bank. No one is talking about this in the country right now, guys, not the way that we do in our, we're, we're doing it. And that's why I have that guy down there. Uh, we're going to talk about that. So imagine this, instead of taking my $10,000, right? Listen, guys, and just going getting arbitrage, which rate me a 70% return, I take my $10,000 and I put it in a life insurance policy that's going to generate me anywhere from 5 to 10%, right? It's, now, the benefits, he's going to talk about that. Once I put that money in there, I'm generating now money on the life insurance and on the arbitrage. Right? How much you guys, when you put your money in a savings account, how much you guys are earning? Oh, 1.1. 1.5. 1.5. <laughs> what if you could put it in a vehicle that you have 
access to it pretty much immediately, but you're ending anywhere from four to 12%. And you can borrow from it. And you can borrow from it. And and you're using your arbitrage to fund your retirement. How's that sound? Can't beat it. Can't beat it. This is this is what we bring when I come on your show. That's why I only come every. I, I, you only, you only see me every two years. So now when they call me, I'm like, I see you next. You guys are not ready for this, okay? So I only come every two years because when I come, I drop it, and you won't hear from me again for a little while. So guys, what we're bringing to the table this show is that the share economy is can work for your car. Your share economy can work for your house. But now, why not use the share economy? to fund your retirement, you're doing it anyway. So if you don't, do you, guys, do you get what I'm saying so far, guys? Oh, yeah. Okay, so I'm going to pass it down to this guy right here. So when I came to him, we created something. We created this together, and it's working out amazing. So no longer, I don't have to worry about retirement. My, all my houses, if something happens to me, there's a death benefit, but he's going to talk about exactly how everyone can do this, right? But you need a specialist to get this done, all right? So, Terrence, if you want to just add to it, tell him what's going on with that. A quick good. question, Terrence. Go ahead. Yeah. Are you going to be schooling us on IULs? I'm going to show you. I'm, I have an example. I'm going to show you how uh, how it works and how you would want to design it um, because I think that many times when people talk about this concept uh, or just the policy in general, uh, it's kind of like, you know, I have a son who's about to be two in November, right? And if he was running towards me with a scalpel, I'd be worried, right? I'd immediately try to go grab it. But if that scalpel was in the hand of a surgeon, that same tool would now all of a sudden be much more useful, Mm. right? It'd be much more impactful. And so, that's why it's important if you're going to use this type of tool, then one, you need to work with someone who's you know qualified that's not just trying to sell you something, uh, but also is going to be able to evaluate your situation and be able to tell you, hey, this is a good fit with what you're doing. Because if it's not a good fit, then ultimately you want to you know go a different route. But for the people that it's a good fit for, then it's really a way to effectively just compound your money in multiple avenues. And so that's kind of what, what um, Adam did. And so I had a little couple slides, so I don't know if we want to go through them. Yeah. All right, I can try to just give you the high level. But so let me let me go ahead and uh, get this up, and we'll um, just kind of kind of work. One thing, it. guys, I am not an insurance person at all. <laughs> you know, I'm giving that disclosure statement. That's him. So do your research. Do everything. This, same with everyone. I'm just giving the disclaimer. I've heard of this concept. It's fascinating. I, I want to hear this. Yeah, um, yeah. I've, I've been. All right. Yeah, so I, build, I have all my life insurance now through my arbitrages, and my renters pay for it now. I don't. I'm set for uh, life. All right. I guess you got to make me the host to uh, share it with you guys. Um, Mike, I just so, send it to you if you want to. Oh yeah, go ahead. Let you. Let me uh, make you a uh, host real quick. Mute my phone. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. All right, great. Okay, cool. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and uh, walk through this with you guys. All right, so basically, um, and, and kind of Adam's point, right? This is only a component of my business. And like I said, I'm more interested in finding the right people to do this versus just trying to make this you know, to the masses because I don't think it makes sense for everybody. But a lot of your viewers and listeners uh, I think could make sense depending on their situation. So, you know, first, this is completely illustration. 
Um, everyone's situation is different. So you'd have to evaluate it specifically uh, to make sure that it was, you know, right for you. Uh, but just the idea of just having permanent insurance, which is really the tool that we're utilizing uh, to kind of fund this strategy. But one, it kind of like to Adam's point, right? It, it makes sure that you have that death benefit so that it allows you to, you know, transfer wealth tax-free. It allows you to, uh, you know, cover taxes if necessary uh, to uh, help fill in the gap from a retirement standpoint for spouses. It does give you flexibility with how you make premium contributions. So that's very flexible when you talk to people who are in the real estate or business owners. And that cash value access is really what allows you to get um, more of the living benefit behind the insurance that you own. And so you can effectively have your policy tied to the stock market. You could have it tied to an index, which is kind of what we'll do with the illustration. And then, or you could have it guaranteed to some interest rate plus the company that you're buying from can give you dividends or additional uh, profit share out of the plan. All right. So here's just a couple, you know, quotes by Albert Einstein, uh, Warren Buffett, and Christopher Begg. But it just talks through the idea of compounding and the importance of it when you're evaluating a business or an endeavor, and how that really can separate you from your competition. And so one of the key components that if you're going to use this strategy, all right then as an investor, you're going to want to have some level of cash. You're not going to put your last dime into this type of plan. All right. Um, you're going to want a policy that has low expenses, has a high surrender value, meaning I have high access to the money once I put it into the contract. And then I have favorable loan terms, which I'll go more in depth uh, with that. But I mean, I've talked to people, I've been in the business almost 15 years. And so I've talked to people that have used this type of policy, but they were sold it. And, you know, they've had their policies for 15, 20, 25 years and we're reviewing them and we're and I'm having to make or tell them, hey, look, this is actually not going to work for you. Right. You're going to have to make big changes to it. And it just leaves a bad taste in their mouth. And so a lot of the bad press behind this tool is really based on the misuse of it. And unfortunately, you know, in, in, a, in a capitalistic society, not everyone is always going to do what's in your best interest <laughs> as far as recommendations. And so when you buy something, you have to just really understand it and make sure that it fits with what you're doing. So I want to stress that uh, just to make sure that people are aware that uh, this is not for everybody. But like I said, it can be a really powerful tool if your situation makes sense. But some of the synergies that you can find through real estate or arbitraging uh, or in this policy as well is what we call this non-direct direct recognition. So to kind of give you that in layman's terms, if I have a million dollars in the bank and I go to want to buy a property, all right, and they're telling me I got to put $200,000 down, all right, once I put that money in the property, that money is gone, okay? I no longer have access to it. It's just tied to the equity, all right? But if I had a million dollars in a property, I could go to the bank and borrow $200,000, but I still have a million dollar property. So my money in the property will still compound on a million dollars. And then I could take that 200,000 on and buy something else. So I now have two different assets that can grow for me. And that's pretty much the concept we want to use with the insurance. All right. And so we're using leverage to compound our returns so that it gives us greater benefits over time. And this is not a tool to just make money quick. All right. So in real estate, not that you can't make money fast, but 
generally you want to make it, you have a sustained business model. It's because you have a long-term view, like Micah mentioned earlier. All right. And so I did a case study um, of a uh, nice eligible bachelor similar to Adam. All right. Um, Adam remembers when he was 36, he had more hair, of course. <laughs> uh, but good health, guys in real estate. And he was taking that $10,000 and he's just committing it for, you know, 20 years. Okay. And so what I did was I just back tested what would happen. So in this case, the so $10,000, let, let me ask ahead. you a question. So like, so for example, when I do an arbitrage, it costs me mm -hmm. about 10,000, right? Right. And so when you're saying 10,000 a year, instead of taking that $10,000 and immediately going buying out, going by, I'm putting it in a insurance policy. Correct. And then you right. just did it for the next 16 years. That's what you're looking at right now. So the next 16 years, if someone would do that every year. Correct. Yeah. So okay, I'm basically saying, okay, hey, as um, Steve mentioned, hey, instead of taking that money and exclusively using it to buy your furniture and stuff, right? Hey, I would take that same $10,000. i am going to deposit it into this life insurance contract. So what happens is I'm going to actually buy insurance. So in this case, this guy is buying about $300,000 of death benefit. Okay. Now, secret, all of us are going to die and no one likes talking about it, but having been in the business, you know, I've had to have tough conversations with people that have been in that situation. So that death benefit is valuable. All right. If it is you know, necessary or it's needed. Okay. Uh, but in relation to the strategy, that's going to be more of an ancillary benefit. All right. But it can be a primary benefit depending on your objective. So I take that 10,000, I buy this policy, the insurance company is going to charge me a cost, all right? So that cost is going to be subtracted out. And depending on the carrier, that net balance or my cash value, some of them will give me 90 to 95% access to it, okay? So if I put 10,000 in, I could have upwards of eight to $9,000 of accessible cash to pull out of that policy, all right? Within, so within I put days, the 10,000 right? in. Like quickly, right? Within like a week? Right. I put the yeah. 10,000 in. And then what I do is I make a separate agreement with the company. All right. So I create a loan on my own money. So as, as Adam said, he's the bank. Okay. This is my money. So I am able to create a separate agreement and create a loan with that money. So I have the 10,000 that I put in. The company is now saying, hey, every year we're going to tie your growth to a market index like the S&P 500, okay? So they're normally going to either say, hey, it's going to grow one of two ways. You're going to give you a range of returns. So, hey, it's going to go from zero to 8%, or we're going to subtract a spread depending on what the return for that year is. So this year, the S&P is up 17%. So your contract might say, hey, look, the first 5% of growth on the S&P, we're going to keep it but you get to keep the rest. So in this case, hey, I would have made 12% if the market does 17, I make 12. Or if there's a range between zero and eight, let's say, if the market does 17, I get 8%. If the market goes backwards though, my money doesn't go backwards, mm. all right? So I'm able to basically protect my money and I'm getting a similar return to what rates are now, right? Where it's not going anywhere, Can all right? I pull that Except, I'm sorry? Can I pull that 12%? Yes, you can. All right. So, 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 yes. Yeah. So, that, so basically, now my, so let's say I put that 10,000 in. 
I have 9,000 of cash value and then I get a 10% return on it. Now I have $9,900. All right. Now, what I did though, when I put that first 10 in, I created a secondary uh, agreement, right? So I have a loan for $9,000 potentially. Okay. I take that 9,000 and I'm using that to arbitrage. All right. Now, remember that 10,000 I put in, the insurance company is still allowing me to compound that money based on their growth. Mm. But then they allow me to take it out and I can take that money and then compound it with my arbitrage. Okay. But the other component is that secondary agreement that I made, that $9,000 loan is what's called a participating loan. So even though I borrowed $9,000 from the company, they're actually still going to credit me based on what the stock market did. Okay. So if I borrow at 4%, let's say on this loan and the market does 10, I'm going to get make 10% on that loan. So basically the company is going to pay a portion of my loan back for me because of how the contract is designed. Now this started like back in the 1800s in Russia, this concept uh, and then the IRS, because, you know, they let us have fun. They just don't let us go buck wild. <laughs> but it was really savage. I mean, if you go back and look like in the 80s and stuff, you had a lot of companies that were buying policies on their employees. They were actually taking the cash out of them. And when the employee died, they would get the death benefit. <laughs> All right. So the company would use the money from the employee as an investment. They would use that to invest in other stuff. And then they got the death benefit on top of it. So the IRS put a little bit more restrictions on things, okay? So that's why I said, hey, when you, you do this, there are still ways to do it in a business setting, but you have to play by the rules, all right? Um, but in this case, I just did a back test. So I said, okay, let's just take the last 16 years and just look at, all right, here's what happened in the S&P. Now, the S&P goes back to about 1926. So 74% of the time, the S&P actually goes up in value. All right. So you actually made money 74% of the time, but about 57%, it actually goes up more than 10%. Okay. So in large part, you're going to make money every year on this. And generally you're going to make double digits returns or up to double digits returns, potentially just based on the dynamic of the index that is tied to. Okay. So what I did is I said, all right, you're putting $10,000 a year in. All right. And your cash value, just a living benefit, projected over 16 years, the last 16 year history would be about $230,000. So on face value, that's about a 4.2% return after tax. All right. With basically zero downside. Okay. Now, if you were taxing that every year, you're probably close paying closer to 6%. So you're getting a solid return just on its own merit, uh, especially for people that are in higher tax brackets. So it can have utility depending on your situation, just as a standalone tool. Okay. Obviously on the real estate side, I use 30%, right? Um, I'm not as talented as like Adam and Micah who are getting 60 and 70 in my illustration. But um, I just said, okay, if you did that for, you know, this 10, basically the same window of time after that 16 years, you'd have made $66,000 of income, right? At a 30% rate of return. So you just reinvested your income. So you made $66,000. Okay. Now the idea is to use this in conjunction with each other. So I can not only use it in the insurance space, I can not only use it in the arbitrage space, but I can use it 
cohesively. So basically what I did is I took that same 10,000 and then I created the separate agreement 16 different times. So every year I put 10,000 in and I basically withdrew out the loan amount that was available. So as my money grew every year, I basically just took it out. Okay. And I formed a separate loan. So in this case, I mean, this is a convoluted illustration, but I had 16 different loans. All right. Out there. But if you look at it cohesively, my income was lower because I didn't have full access to the 10. So that is a negative if you want to look at it like that. Hey, maybe I was only able to take out 8,000 this year, 8,500, right? So my income was down. But if I add that to my actual cash value, now I have $286,000. So instead of me having a 66,000 of income with no cash value or 230 of cash value with no real estate, I have both. And then I have the loans, which in this case was about 111000 okay? So if I pass away at this time, I basically get the $300,000 of death benefit plus the two thirty of cash value. So that's $500,000 of death benefit. Now, you ask, okay, what does the company do about the loan? Well, they are in control, so they just subtract that from my death benefit. So I would leave $400,000 tax-free to my beneficiary, all right? But if I lived, I would just my money would continue to compound. And so if I got an 8% return on that 230, hey, I just made 20 grand. All right. Um, and so that's the power of being able to do this over a long period of time because you're just compounding on a bigger number. All right. Uh, and so my net growth is 176,000 all said and done versus having, you know, a lower value if I just use one strategy by itself. Yeah, now my right. question nice. is this, on okay. that loan, on that loan, uh -huh. does that loan show up in your personal name? No, it's no, no, it's a separate, no, it won't show up on your credit or anything. Yeah. So it's just going to be a separate agreement. Um, Cause it's, I mean, it's technically your money, right? <laughs> so uh, you're not having to report that or anything. Let me, but let you have to pay it to... back with interest, right? So that's the thing. You can pay it back. All right. But if the company, so once again, if, if your money is compounding and the company is actually chipping in to pay it, then you can basically try to arbitrage and say, hey, my, the, comp, the money that the company is paying on my behalf is going to be more than the actual interest on the loan. All right. So that arbitrage, that difference actually reduces my loan over time. But like I said, the dirty secret is you're going to die. So yeah. the company is going to recoup it eventually, right? They're just going to take it from your death benefit whenever that day comes. Now, I guess it's just what, what I'm asking, because, like, for, this, for example, 401k loan, mm -hmm. you could take it out and then you got up to like, I don't know, three years or five years, whatever, yeah, five to years, repay yeah. it, right? Five years to repay it, depending on what you choose at whatever interest rate, four or five percent, which is it's, it's just you're paying to yourself. So it's no big deal. Mm -hmm. Um is this the same thing where you have a, a certain amount of time to ha you have to pay it back or you could just keep that 10,000 forever? Right. You could keep it forever. As long as you have enough cash value in the policy, then you, there is no requirement for you to pay it back. So it's completely up to you. And that's part of why, you know, like I said, you work with someone like me or, or someone else that can kind of give you the instruction. So this is something you annually review to kind of just ensure that, okay, this makes sense as far as how I structure it or, Hey, and that the other thing is that 230 is still your money. So if you wanted to take a portion of that out, you still could. All right. Now you could just take a straight withdrawal and it'll reduce your death benefit and your cash. So if I want to take thirty thousand dollars, 
I just take thirty thousand dollars out, and my death benefit will just go down by thirty thousand. All right. Yeah, it sounds too good to be true. This is like you, you put 10, 10 grand in, you get a three hundred thousand dollar policy, and then you can immediately pull that ten grand back, Guys, back out. It's not true. We, this is what I do. <laughs> That's why I came on the show. Well, so like I said, this it's is- not. It's not. You can't pull the full ten out. No. All right. But you might be able to pull out. In this case, year one, it was like seventy eight hundred dollars. Right. I could pull out seventy eight hundred dollars, and I I've use that into before. the arbitrage. I've got right? nine back. Um. So yeah. So it's just a matter of. Like I said, the company, I didn't like, I didn't want to push it to the max, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. As far as withdrawals, but I just said, Hey, and, and that's the thing. I actually talked to a guy who, uh, one of the companies that I work with, who's like one of their, um, you know, advanced planning people. And he says, Oh yeah. I mean, if you look at any bank, you know, bank of America, uh, Wells Fargo, you look on their balance sheets, about five to 15% of it is in life insurance cash values. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you think those guys know what they're doing. And, but and the funny thing is he says, look, we don't advertise this because this isn't something that we like want people to do necessarily, mm. but it's just a byproduct of the contract, right? So it's like, we don't tell people, hey, put money into the policy to immediately take it out, right? But he says, it's kind of built in. And he says, you know, we do this with corporations all the time and they just try to arbitrage the difference themselves. Because in the, in the, in the past, uh, a company could actually take the money out and then um, they would actually, you could use this to like pay your employees um, and they would either get, and they would basically use the tax benefits of paying their employees through the insurance or they would take, they would borrow the money to pay their employees, but that wouldn't be considered income uh, to the, to the owner. Right. So it's almost mm-hmm. like you, you could, you could just basically take advantage of the, the tax code through that arbitrage, right? I basically take money from a higher tax bracket and I take advantage of it in a lower tax bracket, right? Mm-hmm. Or I get, I, I, I get a deduction at a higher tax bracket and then I pay taxes at a lower tax bracket. So that spread, right? That arbitrage is kind of how you profit. So, so, so let me ask you, this is great. You're actually arbitraging an arbitrage. If you're thinking right. about it, you're doing it double. <laughs> right. No, it's, it's, it's literally. So I'm literally, my, my, my savings account where I was putting the money I'm earning anywhere from five to twelve percent on that. Then I'm taking it over and doing an arbitrage where I'm making sixty percent on that. So right. e- and I don't have to pay the loan back. So if I'm making twelve and they and my loan is four, I'm still making eight. They just subtract it. And then if then imagine if you're doing that with every new unit you get. Like for example, what's the date today? What's the date today? Twenty first. On the twenty third, I have a flip. I'm not getting on. I'm selling. I did a flip. Worked out great. I'm making a large sum. The old me would have took that and immediately put it at 1031 and down. I'm not doing that now. I'm going to take them. I'm going to put that in insurance, then borrow it, then put that as a down payment. So I'm just getting life insurance, life insurance, life insurance policy. And so what he's not getting as many life insurance policies as you Yeah, because it's a benefit because there's no point in my cash. There's no other vehicle that I know, remember guys, I'm not a professional. I, I used to be a stockbroker. You want to go to Terrence, okay? All right? <laughs> yeah, Talk yeah. to him. What I'm saying is what vehicle that you have that you can get access to your cash somewhat quickly, right? To invest where you can provide a legacy for your family. You're protecting it. And he was telling me um, there's a way to even get living benefits. And um, 
and he can talk about that. I think you have to get an appointment with him. But there's ways that you can enjoy some of your policy while you're alive. It can't say if you have to go, go explain that, Terrence. Go ahead, man. I thought that was a million, a, a brilliant idea. Yeah, so I was saying uh, to Adam earlier that uh, depending on the policy that you have, there are uh, in, in, and you have different things that come up. Uh, so long-term care, disability, things that might happen will allow you to actually accelerate the death benefit. So if I have this $500,000 death benefit and I have a situation that comes up, I could accelerate that death benefit to use towards like long-term care, for example. And it allows me to basically not have to come out of pocket for that money. But even to, to your point, Adam, just to touch on, you could even do the 1031, right? But kind of the reason that you also last episode on episode 100, right? The life-changing episode, uh, you, you talked about the use of business credit, right? So what if you had a lot of credit where, hey, I still choose the 1031. I could use a lot of credit to fund this, um, or I could use that line of credit to put in my next property, but I can still maintain the use of the funds in the 1031. So there's all kind of ways to move this around uh, to where you could still get the tax advantage and maintain the premium. Or like in this policy, the minimum contribution was only like $3,000. Mm. So if one year you didn't want to use it, you could just lower the contribution. You keep it for the death benefit. And then the next year you could make it up. So, hey, if I only put in 3000 last year, if the cap is 10, I could actually use the contribution I didn't put in from the year before and add it the following year. So if I put in three one year and the cap is normally 10 and I only put in three, I could put in 17 the following year if I wanted to. Right. So it does give you a lot of flexibility. Um, but like I said, it's really going to be the oversight of how you manage the policy how you're managing your cash flow to where you can really maximize the use of it. And can and we I got, add? Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, we all got a million questions, me and Mike, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but like, and this is, this is kind of related. Is, is there anything like this with, with health insurance? Like, because I'm asking because me and Micah, we both plan to retire from our jobs fairly quickly. Yeah. And is, and we're going to have to be out there and get our own health insurance. Is there yeah. anything, any vehicle like this similar in health insurance? No, I mean, that's just more of a yeah major medical risk, right? So you're basically, uh, th there's not going to be the same access as far as the capital. Because uh, this, I mean, the, the reason that this policy is the way it is, it was more of an unintended consequence, right? Uh, with, with, with people, uh, originally, there were pretty much only term policies. So people would only insure your life for a certain period of time. But the companies, effectively, people were coming to them saying, okay, what if we wanted to insure it forever? We didn't want to only insure it for a small window. Well, the company had to basically go and say, okay, well, if we're going to do that, we have to charge you more money because we have to make sure that we have more to pay you out versus only potentially paying you out. We have to guarantee that we pay you out. Well, if we charge you more, that doesn't mean that more people are dying in that year. So that excess money was created and it basically just housed inside the policy, right? So this was more of an unintended consequence as far as how this eventually became what it is today, that health insurance just has a whole different dynamic behind it. Okay. Okay. Because that would be a game changer if they did make something like that well, for health insurance. Well, let me ask you a question. The money that you were going to put away for your health insurance, couldn't you 
put it to the contribution and then loan it back out? Could he, like, say if your payment is $300 a month, could he put that in the in the life insurance policy and then take it out? I don't know. I'm just being creative. I'm trying to find a way. I mean, you you could, um, but I I probably wouldn't go down that road. I, I mean, uh, I would say in your case, uh, the HSA is probably your That's best. That's what I was getting at. There's an HSA now. Yeah. So the HSA is probably the best tax tool in the in the code because you get a deduction for the contribution. It's tax free for withdrawals if you use it for health insurance or not health insurance, but health related um, things. After 65, you can use it to pay health insurance, uh, but you can actually grow it tax deferred. So I can invest the money and then I can pull it out tax free for health related situations or for health insurance past the age of 65. But I get the deduction on the front end. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. The HSA, because, you know, you could tie that to the index funds or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. The investments. So grow. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. I do have another big question. Yeah. Uh, uh, with all, all this sounds great. I, I've heard, I've heard someone mention stuff like this before. It, it's really, it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. And um, you, let's say you're in a business partnership. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a business partner and, and we're growing this business together. And I've always heard in the past, you know, partnerships, they always do where they, they each get a life insurance plan on each other in case one of them dies. Right. Pays the other one out. Can you use this in like, in that situation, too? Yeah, you could use that same concept. So that would be like a buy sell agreement uh, or a, like a key person. So if you guys have a, a rainmaker for your one of your staff people. You can use this in the in a in a similar way, except that you probably wouldn't uh, necessarily take the money out. But if you're using it for like a key staff person, there is a way to um, basically give them access to the money, but you tie it over a certain period of years. So they call it a golden handcuff. So you say, hey, this is this policy that that's out there for you, but you can't use it for five or ten years. So you basically have this carrot that keeps them invested in your company. Um, there also is a way to do it with, um, I've seen it used with like college coaches who make a lot of money. So nonprofits, if you pay somebody over a million dollars, there's a 21% excise tax on the additional income that you pay them. Mm. Okay. And so there's, it's called a split dollar arrangement. So I won't go into the weeds on that, but there's actually a way to do it that would kind of compensate the staff person but also keep them invested in their in their program. But going back to the buy sell agreement, you could do the same concept except hey, the death benefit would be used to kind of buy out the other partner. So you'd have to be conscious of that with the, if you're using it from the, the loan standpoint, just to make sure you had enough liquidity to buy out the partner. But that's really the only thing you'd have to kind of keep in mind. That's right. Um, on that perspective. Mm. Micah, you got any questions? Oh no, man, I I uh I kind of already knew this stuff. I watched, I watched Jay Macy's uh, interview of this, and this was like dead on, mm-hmm. spot on of what he was doing. He basically was doing the exact same thing, pulling from the 10K every year. Then he'll put it in like crypto, uh, yeah. Toro car, things like that, make it money, then go do it again. Yeah, man, this is off the chain. I, was, I love this. Just loans you don't got to pay back. Right, I mean, like I said, the company knows you're going to die. Right. So they're, they're like, hey, we're going to get our money back eventually. All right. They just you just buy time until you have to pay it. So you can pay it back if you want. All right. But you don't necessarily have to. You just have to have enough cash value in the policy to support the loan that that's out there. Hmm. 
Because the, the wow. policy is basically the collateral. Wow. It's creating money out of thin air. It's it's crazy. It's yeah. hard to wrap my head around it. It sounds too good to be true. It's insane. You know what? People have been doing this. Banks, have, this is how Walmart banks, they've been doing this for centuries. This yeah. They've been doing this for centuries. I tell you guys, it, one of the things we don't want is like if something would happen and some, I've seen so many people I had to send money uh, for their funerals and things like that because they they weren't willing to put the investment a month. You know, one of the things I do is that, you know, I'm more into the future right now. So I do a lot of arbitrages, whatever the profit is, I put it right back into the policy. I just put it right back into the policy and just forget about it. I just I automate my retirement. So Terrence, you're saying this works better than a GoFundMe? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, <laughs> uh, it, it's a lot more secure, I'd say. Um, so. Oh man! Wow! And, and, and you've taught people to do this who invest in real estate as well. Correct, exactly. Like I said, I think it, it works best in that situation, in that dynamic, because it allows you to not only just compound your money in the policy, but it allows you to compound it in whatever your you know investment of choice is so that you kind of just multiplying your money right the velocity of money so instead of me uh it's kind of like why do you hire a staff person right to do the stuff you don't want to do <laughs> uh but you pay them at a lower rate you just you know make a higher number and but you multiply yourself so this is a way to just multiply your dollar at least the, the money that you're already you're already going to put the money into the arbitrage so why not leverage it and use it for another tool that can compound it now, way. now, is there any downside to it? Because you did say it's not for some people. Some people, it's not it's not good for them. Oh, I mean, if you don't have the cash flow to, to finance it, then I'd say it's probably not for you. Um, if you're if you're not healthy. So if because it is insurance. So if the cost is going to be prohibited from that standpoint. Uh, and, and when I say not healthy, I just mean sometimes if you've had some history that would kind of put you in a bad spot, kind of like your credit. Mm. Right. Except it takes a long time for the insurance company to get your credit up, right? It's not 45 mm. days, Adam. <laughs> okay. Uh. So, so they might treat you poorly based on some history oh that you have. And if that extra cost is will be embedded in the policy, and so it doesn't work as well. Um, so so yeah, so like I said, if you don't have cash flow or the 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 cost of it is gonna be higher, um, then it, it's probably not a good tool for you. But generally, a lot of folks that we're dealing with. Uh, you know, that have, have higher incomes, they can support the policy. Like I said, this is something to supplement what you already would be doing. And it provides you the ancillary benefits of the death benefit with the cash value that can compound. So, so you mentioned you, there, there is 10,000 an arbitrary number is just, it's just, you're just saying you could pay anything. You said anything from 3000 to, to Correct. whatever, whatever you want to pay, right? A year. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, so generally how I design them is, is, is we kind of base it off of, that so that number that you're kind of willing to con contribute you're saying hey i'm comfortable with this number and then i would design a policy to maximize the cash value growth off that number so the lower the insurance premium or death benefit the less cost is associated with it mm. so i'll try to keep the death benefit down so i have more money that can be accessed from the cash standpoint and you could and you could set it up where let's say someone doesn't have ten thousand dollars to start it up today, but they can do monthly payments too. 
Correct. You could do that. Uh, now, it, it's not going to give you the same access. Uh, and so if you're doing monthly, I, it would be more of a, 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 a buildup, right? Because they're not going to give you if you haven't put in 10, they're not going to give you access to it. Yeah, right? But next you year access. you can pull it out. Exactly. Your yeah. And so then, you said, hey, I'll build it up. Try to kind of prepare myself to do it or i mean a lot of people they just do it traditionally like I, I work with a good amount of physicians so but you know when they're trying to expand an office or they're trying to add a deck on their house or a, a down payment on a second home or a wedding that cash value can be used in that same respect mm. um and they're in higher tax brackets so you know if they're with higher wage earners you know they're not hiding from the irs so you would really you know, they're wanna... getting taxed at 35 percent or whatever then um, this is a way to, you know, say, hey, this is some money that's going to grow tax deferred. You can access tax free and not have to worry about paying that 20 percent capital gain up to or 35 percent tax on. Mm. would want to put the 10K straight up front, especially if you let's say you're about to throw this thing into an arbitrage. That's what I'm saying. That's exactly. the whole point of the show. Just yeah. minds of, you know, you go ahead and go ahead and throw it in the arbitrage. Just put one vehicle in there so you can earn on both sides. You're missing. Right. It doesn't make sense not to. And can I add to this, guys? Yep. This technique allowed me to get. Um, I got to be careful what I'm saying on the air. It allowed me to get an investor. Um, because what I so I had this investor that's investing in my arbitrage, right, or or a real estate deal. And one of the things they like, I talked about this. I said, listen, um, instead of giving me that. Right. We're, he gave me the money to rehab the house that I'm flipping. So this sold it. I said, what I'm going to do is like, we're going to take that. And I made him the beneficiary of the policy in case something happens to me for the loan he gave me. Mm, nice. You know what I'm saying? Nice. So nice, we nice. Put it in the policy. He's the beneficiary. And it automatically when the house gets done, I get to keep the policy. You know what I'm saying? And bring So he funded my policy. So not only I said, not only are you going to be an investor, I'm going to give you this interest rate. Don't forget that policy is earning money, right? He mm -hmm. put the money in there, but it lowers my opportunity cost because say if he's charging me nine, but I'm making six off the policy. You get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I just effectively dropped my interest rate to 3%. Mm. Yeah. And then and also you don't even have to name him beneficiary per se. You could just do a collateral assignment. This well, a, lot that, times, uh, a, a lot of yeah. times, a lot of times, like with, <laughs> if, if you go to a, a small business loan to get a, a loan, the bank will make you get insurance and they'll say, hey, assign it to us so that if you don't pay the loan back, we get paid first. And then the so excess goes to your beneficiary. This is before I knew him. But with, with every time I'm raising capital and I'm talking to people, I always get insurance. I get something on them. Like, listen, if something if I get hit by a semi, you're taking care of. They, that's, that eliminates the risk, but it also, I'm getting both benefits of it too. I believe life, man, my father passed away uh, when I was young, man. And um, I tell you, if he didn't make those decisions, if he didn't talk to Terrence, my mom, he's been uh, transitioned for, man, 25 years. My mom has never worked a day because at your age, instead of buying that, maybe that next fancy car, or that next thing, he was putting away life insurance. He was putting things. So just really consider what, what, whatever the decisions we are right now, where we are today is, is, the, is of the choices we made four or five years ago. Yeah. 
I just spoke at a, at a school today, at, today, and I was talking about it. Just imagine if we make these decisions. It's great arbitrages, guys. We come in here and have fun, but we're all committed to whoever is listening that they have a different life, a better possibility to create the future. We want freedom in other areas. So if we're going to share economy, our house, our car, why not our retirement? Something to consider. It's a mic drop right there. <laughs> I don't have insurance on this phone. <laughs> you know what, guys? Edit that out. Edit, edit that out. I know this is not live. We can edit that out. This better not be in the show. Oh man! What you guys wow. think, man? It's some mind blowing stuff. Wait, I wasn't even expecting that. That you know, that's just. Yeah, like I said, I've I've heard about this before on on another show, and it, and I thought it was it sounded really good. Now we're just thinking, okay, five or six percent people don't even ah, oh, that's not a lot of money, but no, it's it's compounding. Plus, you get to use it. I mean, it's just it's a beautiful thing, man. I, I'm definitely gonna hit you up after the show. What's your I, I, contact, I wanna... man? Where's that slide? At? You forgot to put the slide up. Uh, oh, Terrence. oh, um, let me see. By the way, I don't get contact. paid we'll, anything. Yeah, for send this. us your contact and we'll put it in the yeah, show. Yeah, I'll shoot it. Yeah, I'll send it to you so you I have it and have all that. It show notes because that was oh, good. yeah, that was good. Yeah, but uh, that's the second one on IULs and insurance I've heard this week, and I was like, yo, that's a calling, man. That's my second one I've heard this week. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, and so you know, like I said, I mean, even in in this case, I mean, like even uh, Steve, if you, we talked about it, like I said, I, I would kind of look and say, hey, this is kind of what else you have out there. I would tell you, you know, objectively, if this, it would be a good fit for you or not. Right. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, to me, the worst thing would be for somebody to do it. And then it's not what they expected it to be. And now they have a bad taste in their mouth. Right. So nobody wins in that dynamic. Right. right. Um, so I have one question that popped up today and it's, it's a buddy of mine at work. You know, he's, he's not an invest into investing very much, or especially not real estate, whatever. But he did. A couple of years ago, bought some land here in Texas, mm -hmm. like a little bit outside of here, outside of Dallas. And he was just, yeah, yeah, he's thinking, oh, maybe I'm going to retire there, whatever. He bought like 10 acres yeah. for about 80,000 bucks. And anyways, it, you know, he started, he started dating this lady. They, you know, moved in with her. They're, they're doing good. You know, they're doing good at their place. He's talking and, about himself. No, I'm joking. Right. We don't have to do it. 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 We don't have friend yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is, is that it, it wasn't in the cards for him to go build out there because he's with he's, he's with that lady now and, and they're doing real good and you know he's, he's getting close to retirement age so he's like so he put the the land on the market you know everything's been going up crazy this past few years right so yeah. he's he's able to sell it for like 160 grand right doubled his wow. money not bad right so i asked him what he's going to do with the profit how to you know avoid the tax hit he, he said He's going to 1031 it. I said, okay, that's cool. And, and he said, into the house where they're living together. And they're going to redo their, you know, it, it's like a backwards concept from what us, us investors are like. You know, take the money out of the house and use it to buy stuff. You right? can. And he's wanting to take it out of the, the profit of the land and dump it into that house to pay it off faster. And they're going to read. I said, well, first of all, I didn't know you could do that, a 1031 into an existing house you're living in. But he said he's going to redo like the mortgage, like he, him and her buying it together. And then they're going to dump the money in there. Now, my my uh, question to you, Terrence, what do you think the better 
a better decision to do with that big chunk of money he's going to come into how to how to use it better than just dumping it into into that house well so i mean the, i guess the, the only problem would be from my standpoint is that money i mean the idea of the 1031 right the reason the irs gives you the tax benefit which is why a lot of times they the irs gives us tax benefits is because they want to enhance our behavior so that money if it's going to go in his primary residence um and there's other strategies we could talk offline about you know the sale of your primary house and stuff as far as tax wise but that investment is no longer you know viable right i mean if it's in his house he's not making money off his house anymore right versus that land at least it was appreciating mm -hmm. so now he's got this house that he owns and it might be free and clear but he's not able to really do anything other than with the cash flow from the what he was paying into his mortgage so going back to our argument before, right, that cash flow he's freed up from a monthly standpoint, hey, maybe he makes $1,000, $2,000 a month. He's making $24,000 a year of extra cash flow he just generated. But if he took $160,000, you know, he's only got to make, uh, you know, 5%, 10% on that to, to make it make sense to where he's going to end up with more money. Once you cap factor in the equity growth or what he could put that money into, plus the you know cash flow from putting it into something else that can also generate income to him. So it's almost like the, the he, I mean, it's, it's, it's not a bad tool, but also if you own your primary residence, you already get the benefit of it. Right. So that's the other thought. I, I guess I don't see why you'd want to do that, because if I own my primary residence for two out of five years and I sell it, I can exclude up to two fifty or five hundred thousand dollars of gain on it. So he's basically not capturing the I mean, he's not paying the tax per se, but it's almost like the the, the next investment that he makes, he's not going to get the tax benefit because that money's going to have to come in his own pocket versus it having come from that land deal. And then he's going to miss out on the tax benefit that he already could have capitalized on whenever he sells this house that he lives in now. So it's almost like the tax benefit stops at that house versus continuing to move forward into future deals. Right, right, right. Yeah, to me, it sounds backwards from what, what we're, we're learning as investors. You know, you want yeah. to pull money out and use it for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing yeah. keep pulling it out. but. He wants to put it back in. It's just, it's just a, yeah, a backwards concept to me. I was wondering if you knew a better, you know, if he, he'd want to be a real estate investor, is there anything else he could do with it? I mean, so in land, I mean, there's no depreciation. So uh, he's basically going to pay a capital gain tax on it, which isn't terrible. I mean, at 15% probably is what he's going to end up paying. Wow. So he's paying at the lowest tax rate on it. Mm -hmm. uh, so now it's like, okay, he made 80,000. So he's he's you know paying fifteen percent on that, uh, which is what twelve thousand. So hey, he's got one hundred forty eight thousand dollars now, free and clear. He can do something with. Um, so I would say, just in this case, if he's not really wanting to multiply it, I would just pay the cap gain, and then that one forty eight, especially because you also think the mortgage on his house is what three percent somewhere in that range, mm -hmm. right? On so it's three percent on a declining number. Whereas I could take 148 and compound it at a higher number, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like he's losing money in a sense. He's arbitraging opposite. Yeah. <laughs> as <he's far> <laughs> as in that case, uh, as well. Yeah. So I think 
the concept sounds interesting, but once you get under the hood, he's the opportunity cost. I think is is high. Mm. And he could take that taxes, the capital gain, do what we're talking about, run it through. I do that, run it through an insurance policy. I I take my I I save every month for taxes, and I'm I, the insurance that I have. One of the policy automatically just takes it and puts it in the policy. At the end of the year, I'm just gonna. Take a loan out, pay it, and just start the whole thing over and over and over again. Uh, where's this guy with 10 acres for 160 outside of Dallas? <laughs> <laughs> right. Hey, what is I was so thinking dumb. the same thing. It's far away from Dallas. This is like past Dublin. It's way, oh, okay. way. Yeah, yeah, I, just, I just said outside yeah. Dallas. It's, Let me ask you a question. This guy did something creative. I, I don't know if it's legal or not with a 1031. I, 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 I'm sure I'm wrong, but he found someone that had – land or something in a 1031 so in investment he it was opportunity zone mm-hmm. and so he gave him his money this guy for the 1030 with the investment but then the guy gave him the money back through a loan with like a zero percent interest and forgivable does that make sense somehow okay. yeah so he, he had an opportunity zone, right? He needed to put his money somewhere. He knew the person pretty well. I don't know. I could be wrong. Take this off. Then he, he invested. He gave him the money. But, he's, but, he, but he, they were trying to work out a deal, but he needed that cash back at the same time. So then the guy with the opportunity, opportunity loan then loaned him the money back so he can do other investments at an interest rate. And he adverted a lot of that tax situation. Does that make sense? It sounds like he got, sounds like person B had a tax credit somewhere. And he might have, yeah, it sounds like he had a tax credit. And I've heard a lot of people doing that shit. Like, I know a lot of rich people doing that right now. They ain't paying capital gains. They're just taking their whole chunk of gain, putting Mm -hmm. it into an opportunity zone, Mm -hmm. fix it up, can rent it out. They're not paying any taxes at all. Yeah, you just have um, to hold it for seven years. Yeah. Um, I, now, see, I'm I'm, I'm, but, I'm interested to know how he did that. Though. But I mean, the the, the key is, I guess, that separate loan, right? Um, <laughs> which, I mean, generally the IRS is gonna kind of force you to have a a, a minimum interest rate, <laughs> right, uh, for it to be considered a loan. Mm. Um. But I mean, he, he, the other guy really just did him a solid. I mean, that's it because he can make it forgivable yeah. and he yeah. can make it one dollar a year. Yeah, right. I've loaned myself, I've loaned myself money to my company at a at dollar a year. You can do stuff, there's creative things that might, you know, you can do stuff like that. I just did that with my company. Yeah. I yeah. used a personal line of credit, loaned it to my business, and then they have to pay business on uh, interest on the personal line of credit. Right, and it's also a way to to not avoid paying taxes because loans aren't taxable. So a lot of like you see these wealthy people, they'll take out massive loans when they just you know they own a high percentage of one individual stock, and their stock's worth millions or billions of dollars. Well, instead of me taking out income and paying thirty five percent tax, I could just borrow the money at four or five percent, knowing that I have the assets to pay it. And then I'll just, you know, pay the interest on those loans. And, oh, and yeah, I do that with my flips, guys. I do that with you my can, flips. You can take loans off stocks. So, yeah, I mean, if you, if you go to the bank, right, yeah. and the bank says, hey, you're worth $100 million based on the value of your stock. Mm-hmm. 
and they'll give you $10 million or whatever it is, right? Well, that <laughs> money is a loan. So I can go turn up on my $10,000, pay the IRS $0. All I got to do is pay the interest on the loan. That's awesome. Okay? <laughs> or I just get, or my company pays me just enough to pay the interest, right? So it's like, okay, pay 5% on 10 million, right? And I basically live on 10 million, but I'm only paying taxes on the 5%, you know? <clears throat> and my company deducts that uh -oh. money anyway. Right. So, so it's like a, a loop. Right. Wow. So the tech, the rich people don't pay taxes. Well, that's, that's a strategy. That some <laughs> the of them rich people do not it's pay taxes. It's the educated yeah. don't pay taxes. Like I said, the, 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 I mean, like I said, the, the, the tax code is written to incentivize behavior, but there are unintended consequences that happen, but the IRS is always going to be slower to put the close a loophole. Like the opportunity uh, zone. They want people to fix up the, the exactly. you know, poor neighborhoods. But what's going to happen, right? It's going to gentrify areas. Uh, so it's going to almost drive out the people that they're trying to help, which means that people like us can go buy the multifamily housing around those opportunity zones because the people that live there, they're going to get priced out for taxes or whatever. And then they're going to be renting in those areas, right? So you're going kind of, like you said, the guy Al, right? Let me buy on the edge of that spot <laughs> because mm. we know there's going to be a footload of traffic that's going to have demand going there. Because people normally they want to stay in the same area, but if they're priced out. You know, you're right there to kind of provide the housing for them. They they turn they turn Redbird into an opportunity zone, and if you ever look at Redbird now, they tore down the damn mall and they're building oh, high, yeah. high rise yeah. apartment buildings. I looked over, I was like, what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like, but. You know, and that's what people are doing. They, they, if you ain't got to pay taxes on it, I mean, you right. Or people yeah. sell, I mean, you can do it with, if you sold a business, you can use that money from your business sale to put into the opportunity zone. Mm, okay. Oh, yeah, man. Yo, I, I'm going to go back and rewatch this. Yeah. <laughs> Well, cool, man. This has been a great episode. We've been we can go on hours and hours, but wow. um, we've been on for what, a while. We're, yeah, where, where? Okay, where can folks find you guys? Adam, Oh, you can go to uh, velocitycorporatehousing.com. I'm on Facebook at Velocity Corporate Housing. You can find me. These guys know how to contact me. And let me um, give you a cell phone number. I'm just... Yeah, you can. <laughs> I, get, I gave you a Google number, so you don't even have it. So don't worry about it. <laughs> Damn. I need a black. Damn. <laughs> oh, you don't even have it there, pal. I feel abused. Oh, I didn't even, <laughs> I didn't even ask one question before I get to the, the, the closing part. Uh, how, how's, the, how's the weed situation in Oklahoma? Amazing. That's how I know that guy right there. <laughs> yeah. That's how we connected. It's still money to be made with that. It's amazing. Um, I, it's amazing. As, as you guys know, I think one of the greatest investments you can make is in, in cannabis. Uh, Oklahoma is the number one cannabis producing state in the world. They sell more cannabis in anything, in any place. is beating California. Um, that's how I know Mr. Terrence because my business partner is a doctor. Mm -hmm. we have, we're, we're doing something with that. Um, we have land. We just ordered our. Did she tell you that, Terrence? Have you spoke to? Uh, we talked about a week ago. Yeah, but yeah. So, I, I was excited. I mean, yeah. Uh, we just, uh, we just, uh, we're, we're, our, our building should be built in the next three or four months. 
Um, we're looking at returns from anywhere from 60 and 75%. And what I'm so excited about is the difference that we're going to make because we, the way that we're growing, uh, no one in the country is doing, and we're testing that right out. And uh, we bought our land uh, a year ago and it's almost doubled in price. Yeah. We just, it's, it's, if you guys can get land in Oklahoma, if, can I make a suggestion? If you're in Texas, I would, I would go way out there in the middle of nowhere and buy land and I would hold it. Because once it becomes federal, guys, listen, once it becomes federally accepted, they, the multiple becomes automatically a 10X. Mm. So whatever you're doing, the multiple becomes a 10X. That's why Terrence, who's our financial CEO, um, we're trying to get everything together because once it becomes federal, it's going to be a lot more difficult to get in. So if you guys can find a way to invest, we're, we're, we're looking for, you know, partners and investors right now um, in, a, in a minute, but we're testing our situation. And a lot of people in cannabis, they just rushed into it and they're falling off right now. But we're doing the, the slow, steady, we've researched, we have meetings. And we're coming out on top because we just didn't rush right into it. But a lot of places are shutting down now here. They just any any, any free samples? I've never smoked it. I don't. <laughs> I got you. Call me. <laughs> I've never, I don't. You know. Has Oklahoma move recreational? Uh, it's the same. It's basically recreational now. It's medical. You you pay fifty bucks and you can get it. It's basically. It's 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 medical, but it's so easy to get your license. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty much, much. Recre- got the migraines. Yeah. Got the migraines. They get everything. You know, a lot of people are coming from Texas all the time. I mean, back and forth. You'd be shocked. People are coming from Texas. Uh, a lot of doctors are prescribing it, and they're going to Durant. Um, it's just it's just amazing opportunity to get into something that's really making a, a, a difference. You know, I offer, what we offer is turnkey solution. So we're looking for people who can't get into Oklahoma that want everything done. That's what we're creating is turnkey. Like I'm never going to be there. I'm never going to touch. I don't have to. I'm an arbitrage guy. So how can we get it, <laughs> make a difference, put the right teamwork in there? But you can't invest in Oklahoma unless you are, unless you live there for a couple of years, me. So you're going to have to go up under someone. But it's it's amazing. You're it's 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 the low entry to get in, but the returns are, are amazing. If you want to talk about that with me, you can contact contact me too. So we have all that coming together. Yeah, two cool. years though. Two years. A year. A year. Okay, you give me. A year. <laughs> right. Where can folks find you, Terrence? Uh, so I have a website. It's uh, my business is Logos Financial Group. So L O G O S F G dot com. Uh, I'm on Instagram, Logos Financial, and um, I can put put that also in the I guess show notes for that. But okay. uh, but yeah, so we help people with you know on the finance side, on the tax side, and uh, I do a little bit of consulting uh, as well. I'm working with a business now that um, we're really excited about. I think we will have a, 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 a hopefully a big exit at, at one day down the road. Um, but uh, but yeah, so uh, not Adam, but <laughs> hopefully Adam, hopefully Adam, you, too, hopefully Adam too, though. Um, but uh, but yeah, I'm really excited fired. about what they're doing and and kind of the the concept. I think that's going to be big as well. So we're just trying to uh, uh, live up to you guys' standards, right? Uh, and 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 what you guys got going on? We learn from our guests, man, all the time. This is awesome. Thank y'all so much for hopping on. Yeah, I see so you guys any, in two years. In two years, 
Any closing advice to, to our listeners out there? Anything? Um, whatever you want in life is on the other side of hard. And uh, never give up. You can overcome anything. And if you just really just manifest what you want to put, what you want, and surround yourself with good people, keep listening to the show, it will happen. I promise mm. you. Amen. I have a, uh, there's a, a proverb that says people perish for lack of wisdom. But how that's defined, it says that people throw off restraint when they don't have vision for where they're going. And so if you don't have vision for where you're going, you're not going to be disciplined. You're not going to stick with whatever you're looking to do. And so I think it's really about finding out, you know, your vision for things, getting knowledge from things like these people like this podcast, surrounding yourself with people that can, you know, build you up when your vision doesn't seem like uh, you can see it clearly. And uh, just continue to grow. And ultimately, you'll get to, to, to your destination. That's amazing. This guy's talking about vision wearing bifocals. So you know we can, <laughs> you know he can see into his future. So I got to get you back. He can see decades Oh, ahead. okay. That's all right. Yeah, I'm going to bank that one. I'm going to bank that one. Okay. Uh, so we'll if you wear bifocals, you got a vision. He we'll is have to not perishing that one. at all. Go <laughs> bear to this guy. <laughs> He's always cracking on me. I'm sick of you. Hey, right, it's all love. It's all I'm love. Sick of you. I'm sick of you. <laughs> Thank oh, you guys. Man. I'm tired. I'm sick of you. Yeah. Listening. Thanks yeah, again. Man. Thanks for hopping on. Um, yeah, hit him up, make some start, get out there and, and, and use that vision. Use that vision. And any, any closing words, Mike? Man, that is it. Thank y'all for continuing to listen to us. Follow us, live that thrive on Instagram. Email us, live that thrive at gmail.com. And yeah, continue. Thank you for listening to us. We are happy we've been able to provide value. And uh, remember, like, comment, rate, share, all that good stuff. Subscribe. We are out. Peace. Awesome. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Live, Let, Thrive. Be sure to tune in next week for all the latest in the world of Airbnb and all that entails. Bye-bye.